This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Attention all you budding colorectal surgeons out there. Have you ever wondered why there are limited, high-quality resources to help you prepare for the colorectal oral boards? Well, so did we, and we were not impressed with what we found. So we recruited some all-star colorectal surgeons to help you prepare, and today I'm joined by colorectal surgeon extraordinaire John Abelson, who led the charge in preparing this fantastic colorectal oral board review resource. Well, thanks, Patrick. Uh, let me just take a moment and thank you and the Behind the Knife crew for recognizing there's a real problem with the way we prepare for oral boards. And I, I remember doing endless Zoom calls with my buddies going through scenarios and wondering when I was listening to you know either myself or someone else practicing saying, is that right? What they just said? Is that pace okay? Is that enough detail? Is that too much detail? And then in walks behind the knife with oral boards prep for general surgery. And I think from what I hear, it was pretty resounding success. Is that right, Patrick? Yeah, we've uh, we've sought out a lot of feedback and we learned that trainees preparing for the oral boards really loved the format, among other things. And just to remind you, each scenario includes two parts. Uh, the first part is a perfectly executed oral board scenario that really mimics the real thing. And scenarios are five to seven minutes long, and they do include a variety of tactics and styles. And if you can achieve this level of performance in preparation, you're going to pass the exam with flying colors. And then the second part for each of the scenario includes high yield commentary. And this are things like tips and tricks to help you dominate the most challenging scenarios. Uh, in addition to really practical, kind of easy to understand teaching that covers the most confusing topics that colorectal surgeons are going to come across on their boards, and really more importantly, in real life. And for all these board series that we're putting out, they are designed for the boards, but they're really a fantastic resource to use throughout training. Awesome. Well, I, I do want to say I am honored to be given the opportunity to put together an all of my colorectal poo crew buddies create an oral boards prep for colorectal surgery. So full disclosure, it is not possible to create scenarios to reproduce the world of possible iterations that you may encounter on the actual oral boards nor is there a specific score curriculum, for example, like there is for general surgery that you can definitively follow to prepare. So what we did with this preparation is we did our very best to pick the highest yield topics with the highest yield complications and variations of scenario that you might see. And so as Patrick said, with our commentary, we're trying to give you tips and tricks for oral board performance, but then also specific input for the actual scenarios. And in some cases, you really do try to provide this as an educational opportunity, like Patrick was saying, to expand your world of knowledge in the wonderful world of colorectal surgery. So a massive thanks to my colleagues and collaborators, Aaron Dawes, Chris Nembard, and Juliet Ray. We hope you enjoy, and as always, DTD. Behind the Knife Premium. 
Pouch Complications, written by Aaron Dawes, examiner Aaron Dawes, examinee Christine Nemhard. Scenario. A 23-year-old male with a history of ulcerative colitis presents to your clinic for a post-operative visit. You performed a total proctocolectomy with double-stapled iliopouch anal anastomosis and diverting loop ileostomy approximately three months ago. His operation and recovery have gone well. He returns today to discuss ileostomy takedown. A water-soluble contrast enema performed this morning detected a 1 centimeter by 4 centimeter collection just posterior to the pouch near the ilioanal anastomosis. How would you like to proceed? I would uh, start by finding out if the patient has any symptoms of pelvic infection, um, particularly asking if they're if he's having any fevers, chills, any pelvic pressures, pains, and has there been any change to his ileostomy outputs? Does he have any anal discharge? Okay. He denies any fevers or chills. He has been eating well and has normal ileostomy output. He reports some mucus drainage from the anus about two to three times per week. It's always been a small volume He does have a small amount of pelvic pressure, but that has been stable since the operation. Okay, so it seems like he may have an asymptomatic sinus rather than a pelvic abscess. And so I would start by getting some baseline labs, including a CBC, BMP, and a CRP. Okay, his white blood cell count is 9,000. His CRP is 7.5 milligrams per deciliter. The remainder of his labs are normal. What would you like to do next? I would um, tell the patient that this is likely a pouch sinus from a small anastomotic leak. And since he doesn't have any symptoms and there's no signs of systemic infection, uh, I would recommend delaying the ileostomy takedown at this time and just allow the sinus some more time to heal. Um, I would probably plan to repeat the water-soluble enema in about two to three months. Okay. What else could you consider at this point? I could also take him for an examination under anesthesia to see if I could uh, visualize the sinus for myself and potentially drain it. And depending on the size of the defect itself, I would pass a small malacot or maybe a Penrose drain transanally into the sinus. Um, I know some people are using a vacuum dressing instead of a drain uh, in this situation, but I I do not have any personal experience with that approach. Okay. Um, After your discussion, the patient decides to go with conservative management for now. He agrees to come back and see you after his next enema study. Unfortunately, the enema study occurs and the sinus is virtually unchanged. He's still asymptomatic. What would you recommend at this point? I would perform another examination under anesthesia and see if maybe I could unroof or uh, drain the sinus. Okay. You go ahead and perform your exam under anesthesia. You unroof the sinus. There's no active infection. You see him back three months later. He's asymptomatic. His water-soluble enema no longer shows a sinus. So you proceed with his ileostomy takedown. He does well, but returns about six months later with two weeks of pelvic pressure fecal urgency, tenesmus, and intermittent blood rectum. He's having about 12 bowel movements per day. Okay. I would perform an abdominal and an external anorectal exam. 
I would also send some labs for CBC, BMP, and a CRP and get a CT scan with IV contrast. And um, also I would send some stool studies. Okay. What's on your differential diagnosis? Given his history of the pulp sinus, I'm worried that um, he might have a persistent anastomotic leak uh, with possibly a new pelvic abscess. But his symptoms could also be related to pouch inflammation, either from pouchitis, cuffitis, um, could be an infectious etiology, or maybe even Crohn's disease. Okay. His abdominal exam is benign. His external anorectal exam demonstrates no evidence of fistula, abscess, ulceration, or any other skin changes. His white blood cell count comes back at 11,000. His CRP is 15 milligrams per deciliter. His other labs are all within normal limits. His stool studies are negative for infection. His CT scan shows some thickening of the wall of the pouch with mild stranding. There's no evidence of leak, fistula, or pelvic abscess. What would you like to do next? Okay, I'm I'm more concerned about pouchitis at this point, and I would plan for doing a pouchoscopy with some biopsies. Okay, you perform your pouchoscopy. The anal canal and rectal cuff appear normal. However, the pouch mucosa is diffusely inflamed. There are no obvious ulcers, strictures, or internal openings. The afferent limb appears normal and without signs of inflammation. You take biopsies from the cuff, pouch, and the afferent limb. What would you like to do next? So this presentation sounds most consistent with pouchitis, and I would start by prescribing a regimen of ciprofloxacin and metronidazole for two weeks. And if that doesn't work, then I could consider maybe a different antibiotic, such as rifaximin. I would also review the pathology from the biopsies and just make sure that there is no signs of Crohn's or CMV infection. Be sure to listen to Part B for high-yield commentary and other tips and tricks. Behind the Knife Premium. Pouch Complications. Written by Aaron Dawes. Examiner, Aaron Dawes. Examinee, Christine Nemhard. Scenario. A 23-year-old male with a history of ulcerative colitis presents to your clinic for a post-operative visit. You performed a total proctocolectomy with double-stapled iliopouch anal anastomosis and diverting loop ileostomy approximately three months ago. His operation and recovery have gone well. He returns today to discuss ileostomy takedown. A water-soluble contrast enema performed this morning detected a one centimeter by four centimeter collection just posterior to the pouch near the ilioanal anastomosis. How would you like to proceed? I would uh, start by finding out if the patient has any symptoms of pelvic infection, um, particularly asking if they're if he's having any fevers, chills, any pelvic pressures, pains. And has there been any change to his ileostomy outputs? Does he have any anal discharge? Pouch sinuses occur in between 3 and 8% of patients undergoing iliopouch anal anastomosis and typically result from a small disruption at the pouch anal anastomosis itself. In an undiverted patient, anastomotic leak can result in pelvic sepsis, which requires IV antibiotics, IR drainage, or even surgical washout and ileostomy. 
In a diverted patient, the patient may be completely asymptomatic or may develop vague, low-grade symptoms over the course of weeks to months after surgery, such as low-grade fever, pelvic pressure, prolonged ileus, or even poor pouch function with urgency, frequency, and tenesmus. Symptomatic leaks and sinuses should be addressed expeditiously as symptoms carry the highest risk for pouch dysfunction and eventual failure. Okay, he denies any fevers or chills. He has been eating well and has normal ileostomy output. He reports some mucus drainage from the anus about two to three times per week. It's always been a small volume. He does have a small amount of pelvic pressure, but that has been stable since the operation. Okay, so it seems like he may have an asymptomatic sinus rather than a pelvic abscess. And so I would start by getting some baseline labs, including a CBC, BMP, and a CRP. Okay, his white blood cell count is 9,000. His CRP is 7.5 milligrams per deciliter. The remainder of his labs are normal. What would you like to do next? I would um, tell the patient that this is likely a pouch sinus from a small anastomotic leak. And since he doesn't have any symptoms and there's no signs of systemic infection, uh, I would recommend delaying the ileostomy takedown at this time and just allow the sinus some more time to heal. Um, I would probably plan to repeat the water-soluble enema in about two to three months. Okay. What else could you consider at this point? I could also take him for an examination under anesthesia to see if I could uh, visualize the sinus for myself and potentially drain it. And depending on the size of the defect itself, I would pass a small malacot or maybe a Penrose drain transanally into the sinus. Um, I know some people are using a vacuum dressing instead of a drain uh, in this situation, but I, I do not have any personal experience with that approach. Most asymptomatic pouch sinuses are going to be treated non-operatively, especially in patients who are immediately postoperatively and are already diverted. For diverted patients, ileostomy takedown should be delayed, and water-soluble contrast studies should be repeated about two to three months later to determine if the sinus has healed. Asymptomatic patients who are not diverted can be monitored, but need to be monitored closely to be sure that no additional intervention is required. Symptomatic patients who are not diverted should be considered for ileostomy. Although there is no uniform consensus, some surgeons, especially those in Europe, have moved towards early exam under anesthesia and drainage of anastomotic leak or sinus in the hope of resolving the localized infection before the cavity tract epithelializes. There are multiple small studies of transanal drain placement, as well as the use of endosponge endoluminal vacuum therapy for anastomotic leak or sinus with promising results. Unfortunately, the device has not yet been approved in the United States, although some surgeons have adapted wound vac systems to perform a similar function. Okay. Um, after your discussion, the patient decides to go with conservative management for now. He agrees to come back and see you after his next enema study. Unfortunately, the enema study occurs and the sinus is virtually unchanged. He's still asymptomatic. What would you recommend at this point? I would perform another examination under anesthesia and see if maybe I could unroof or uh, drain the sinus. 
Okay. You go ahead and perform your exam under anesthesia. You unroof the sinus. There's no active infection. You see him back three months later. He's asymptomatic. His water-soluble enema no longer shows a sinus. So you proceed with his ileostomy takedown. He does well, but returns about six months later with two weeks of pelvic pressure, fecal urgency, tenesmus, and intermittent blood rectum. He's having about 12 bowel movements per day. Although there's really no consensus as to how long you can wait, any sinus that is not improved after six months of conservative management is unlikely to heal on its own, meaning that the examiner is going to want you to move on to some kind of attempt at repair. Repair typically involves unroofing or debriding the tract either transanally or endoscopically in order to improve the drainage and promote local wound healing. This is a place to consider transanal transanastomotic drainage with either a flexible mushroom drain or one of those vacuum-assisted drainage systems, depending on the size of the cavity. Some people instill fibrin glue in the hope that it will prevent fecal material from entering the anastomotic defect, although the success rate and durability of this approach are disputed. Sinuses that persist despite local intervention may require formal pouch revision or even redo pouch surgery. Select patients with asymptomatic sinuses and no evidence of pelvic sepsis can be considered for ileostomy takedown without addressing the underlying sinus, as the anatomy approximates that of a contained anastomotic leak. However, converting an asymptomatic leak to a symptomatic leak with pelvic sepsis would certainly increase the risk of future pouch dysfunction. So episodic pelvic symptoms and pouch dysfunction here should raise the concern for pouchitis. Remember, pouchitis is the most common complication of iliopouch anal anastomosis surgery, with at least 40 to 50% of pouch patients developing an episode in their lifetime. Although the exact etiology of pouchitis remains unknown, symptoms are related to mucosal inflammation and dysbiosis. Patients with suspected pouchitis should undergo endoscopic evaluation of the pouch to confirm the diagnosis and to evaluate the pattern of inflammation to help rule out other sources. In patients with pouchitis, inflammation is typically diffuse and homogenous throughout the pouch, but not the afferent limb above the pouch. And now a word from our sponsor, Indeed. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. We streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description. And this happens the moment they sponsor a job. In fact, candidates that you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash btk. Offer is good for a limited time. Again, claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash btk. Indeed.com slash btk. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay. I would perform an abdominal and an external anorectal exam. I would also send some labs for CBC, BMP, and a CRP. 
and get a CT scan with IV contrast. And um, also I would send some stool studies. Okay, what's on your differential diagnosis? It is important to be able to give a thorough differential diagnosis for pouchitis and to be able to distinguish the potential diagnoses based on the pattern of inflammation. Inflammation in a vascular distribution, for example, one that involves only one limb of the pouch or is concentrated around the common staple line, may suggest ischemia-associated cuffitis from mesenteric tension due to obesity. Isolated inflammation near the anastomosis may suggest a chronic anastomotic leak or sinus. Inflammation of the rectal cuff, but not the pouch, is suggestive of persistent ulcerative colitis, also called cuffitis, and is typically treated with topical 5-ASA compounds. Severe and medically refractory disease or patients who develop dysplasia require mucosectomy with pouch advancement or revision. Finally, inflammation of the pouch as well as the afferent limb and or the anus and perianal tissue raises the concern for Crohn's disease. Biopsies of the pouch looking for microscopic evidence of Crohn's disease as well as MR enterography looking for small bowel inflammation outside the pouch can be helpful in confirming the diagnosis. Given his history of the pulp sinus, I'm worried that um, he might have a persistent anastomotic leak uh, with possibly a new pelvic abscess. But his symptoms could also be related to pouch inflammation, either from pouchitis, cuffitis, um, could be an infectious etiology, or maybe even Crohn's disease. Okay. His abdominal exam is benign. His external anorectal exam demonstrates no evidence of fistula, abscess, ulceration, or any other skin changes. His white blood cell count comes back at 11,000. His CRP is 15 milligrams per deciliter. His other labs are all within normal limits. His stool studies are negative for infection. His CT scan shows some thickening of the wall of the pouch with mild stranding. There's no evidence of leak, fistula, or pelvic abscess. What would you like to do next? Okay, I'm, I'm more concerned about pouchitis at this point. And I would plan for doing a pouchoscopy with some biopsies. Okay. You perform your pouchoscopy. The anal canal and rectal cuff appear normal. However, the pouch mucosa is diffusely inflamed. There are no obvious ulcers, strictures, or internal openings. The afferent limb appears normal and without signs of inflammation. You take biopsies from the cuff, pouch, and the afferent limb. What would you like to do next? So this presentation sounds most consistent with pouchitis, and I would start by prescribing a regimen of ciprofloxacin and metronidazole for two weeks. And if that doesn't work, then I could consider maybe a different antibiotic, such as rifaximin. I would also review the pathology from the biopsies and just make sure that there is no signs of Crohn's or CMV infection. The treatment of pouchitis is medical, typically with a course of ciprofloxacin or metronidazole or both. Refractory cases can require other antibiotics such as rifaximin. Antibiotic-resistant chronic pouchitis carries a high risk of pouch failure. Steroids and or biologics can be attempted, although definitive control with proximal diversion of the in situ pouch or even pouch excision may be required. Thank you for listening to Behind the Knife Premium Oral Board Review. 
dominate the day. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.